Let's talk about your next patient. This is a rather unusual case. This is a 74-year-old male, former smoker. He smoked for many years, up to a pack a day, and quit about 15 to 20 years ago. Admits to smoking a pipe since that time, but it says he doesn't inhale. And he had a routine chest X-ray about a year and a half ago, in September 2008, and a right upper lobe mass was seen with a, actually on a CT scan, a smaller right upper lobe nodule and a three centimeter adrenal mass. The rest of his workup showed no other evidence of metastatic disease, and even the PET scan was negative for any lymphadenopathy or bone marrow involvement. He had a needle aspirate, this was one of those aspirates, of the pulmonary lesion, and it came back dysplastic squamous cells, but it was non-diagnostic. Then he came to see me. I felt that given that he had some COPD and we already had a non-diagnostic pulmonary biopsy, that we would go for the adrenal mass. This seemed like a very straightforward case of a lung cancer with a metastasis to the adrenal gland. So we did a needle biopsy of the adrenal gland, which revealed diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which was a complete surprise. And again, I'll mention he had no lymphadenopathy. As a result of that, I treated him with rituxan CHOP for six courses. I decided not to rebiopsy the pulmonary lesion, instead to see if it shrunk with the chemotherapy for a lymphoma. The lymphoma went away. There's a small residual PET-negative nodule in the adrenal gland, and no other evidence of PET-avid disease except for the lung. The lung was rebiopsied and showed squamous cell carcinoma. So in retrospect, do you think this was diffuse large B cell in his adrenal? I think it was a large cell lymphoma. It got better with R-CHOP, and I don't think it's too difficult to distinguish the two. So you think he had two tumors? I think he had two separate tumors and just an unusual presentation of the lymphoma. So now you've got your squamous cell. Then what happened? I sent him to surgery for the squamous cell because at that point we thought he had early disease. And because of his pulmonary status, he had wedge resections of both right upper lobe nodules a year ago by, again, a good thoracic surgeon and was doing well. He had some problems with COPD postoperatively, but otherwise was okay. And just as he really started to feel better, he developed a new right upper lobe mass. This measured four centimeters. It was in basically the same area right adjacent to where his wedge resection was. This was rebiopsied and again was squamous cell carcinoma. I had him seen by the surgeon. His COPD was too severe for any further surgery. So we were left with, again, what looked like early stage disease, but unresectable because of his operability status. And I started him on Carbogemzar for four courses. At the end of four courses of Carbogemzar, he has no evidence of disease on his CT scan. And what's his current situation? His current situation is interesting in that he's not done that well clinically. He's lost some weight. He's had problems with some ataxia and has been falling and actually hit his head a couple of times. This is just very recently in the last couple of weeks and actually had some new symptoms of ataxia when Ron saw him. I ordered an MRI scan that was done right away and it turns out he has a small to moderate subdural hematoma but no evidence of metastatic disease. So you think the subdural hematoma is causing symptoms or is it incidental? I don't know. 
at this point. It's too early to tell. I just referred him to a neurosurgeon. This is going on right now, and we'll see what he thinks. Wow, what a story. So, Ron, there's a lot of things here to comment on. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, this is a remarkable case. The lung cancer, I mean, Bob said that he had a wedge resection of these two right upper lobe nodules. One was benign, and one was a 1.7 centimeter squamous cell cancer. His thoracic surgeon did a mediastinal lymph node sampling, and they were all negative. So this was a stage 1A squamous cell cancer of the lung. The only problem, of course, is this wedge resection. And we know that the more limited the surgery, the greater the risk of local relapse. And unfortunately, that's what happened with this guy. Now, I'm not faulting anyone here because his pulmonary function would not allow a more aggressive approach or at least opposed too great of a risk. But he relapsed in that right upper lobe and, you know, was not a candidate for re-resection, was not a candidate for radiation therapy because with the margins, his pulmonary function would have been compromised. I mean, this man is oxygen dependent. So he came into the office with a little backpack containing an oxygen tank with nasal cannula. I asked Bob to prove this complete response with CarboGem, and he showed me the CT reports. And boy, this was quite a remarkable and outstanding objective response. I think he used the best regimen to use, given all the risks, you know, wanting to avoid some of the toxicities of taxanes in this patient with severe COPD, who's previously received RCHOP, and he had a great outcome. How did he tolerate the carbogem, Bob? He tolerated it fairly well. He had some problems with his blood counts. Nothing terribly unusual, but enough that I think we had to hold one dose of gemcitabine. But otherwise, he did tolerate four courses you know, reasonably well for someone who started out with his general performance status. Ron, we saw a ASCO plenary presentation a couple of years ago looking at cetuximab in this situation. Where are we right now with anti-EGFR antibodies, specifically cetuximab in squamous cancer? Well, you know, the data are mixed. They do show an improvement, several of the studies, in progression-free survival. The most positive study, the European trial, did not, interestingly, show an improvement in progression-free survival, but showed an improvement in overall survival with a hazard ratio of around 0.8, so the kind of 20% decreased risk of death that has led us to approve other therapies for lung cancer. But this is a difficult area because the data are mixed. You know, a meta-analysis probably would not show an improvement in outcome overall. The European study was reviewed by the FDA equivalents in Europe, and cetuximab was not approved for first-line treatment. They were intimidated by the level of toxicity, skin toxicity and hematologic toxicity. So I don't know where we are with this drug. I know in the Southwest Oncology Group, we've got an important trial going on where patients will be treated with carboplatin, paclitaxel, bevacizumab, and with or without cetuximab. So we will re-ask this question. We will do it in patients who have EGFR-positive cancers, and we will stratify by fish expression for EGFR, since we suspect that there is a subset of patients with lung cancer who may have a very important benefit when Herbitux is added to their chemotherapy, and it may very well be not only the EGFR-positive group, but our hypothesis is that it's the high expressors. 
So are there any situations, Ron, outside of protocol setting where you would utilize the tuximab in advanced squamous cell? Well, the only situation would be in a patient with squamous cell cancer, which I don't see a whole lot of in my practice anymore, but I've only used it once in a squamous cell cancer patient. So it's recommended in the NCCN guidelines, but with a reduced level of enthusiasm. I think it's given a two. As long as you're mentioning research related to cetuximab, Ron, maybe you can comment on the chemoradiation trial, kind of trying to follow the head and neck lead in terms of adding in cetuximab. Yeah, so there's a study that's looking at cetuximab combined, I believe, with carboplatin, paclitaxel, and concurrent radiation therapy in patients with locally advanced non-small cell lung cancer to see if the radiation sensitization properties that are so useful in patients with head and neck cancer can be translated to stage 3 lung cancer. Anything else you want to say about this patient, either one of you? Yeah, I'd like to say one thing about it. It's one of these ironic cases because had the initial pulmonary biopsy shown squamous cell carcinoma, of course, we would have assumed that the adrenal mass was a metastasis. It wouldn't have been biopsied. And that particular diagnosis would have been missed completely. I'm just trying to think about adrenal involvement by large cell lymphoma. I mean, I'm not sure I've heard that. Does it happen? I've not seen it before. But we do see primary extranodal large cell lymphomas, and I've seen them in some weird places. I think you seem skeptical of the diagnosis, but my pathologists are very good, and I don't have any doubts about it. Well, plus you were there. I have to ask my lymphoma colleagues whether they've seen anything like this. What a wild case. 